2: Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day
0: returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule.
4: Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. Now, before we get on with today's episode, as you know by now, I am of course very excited to tell you that we are sponsored by the brand new Eurovision exhibition based in the Icelandic town of Husavik.
0: That's right. The town itself found fame in the story of Fire Saga, the Eurovision film that was released on Netflix last year. And since then, fans from all over the globe have wanted to travel to Iceland to see the setting for that smash hit film.
4: Now, of course, we all know Iceland is such a beautiful country. And if the stunning scenery isn't enough to make you want to travel there, then the Eurovision exhibition, of course, has just opened in Husavik on the north coast of Iceland. Maybe you can see some whales while you're there. The exhibition showcases the history of the Eurovision Song Contest, Iceland's participation, and there are some very memorable
0: props and memorabilia from the Fire Saga film itself as well. So, to find out some more and to see some exclusive behind the scenes pictures of the official opening from a few weeks ago, be sure to go and check them out on Twitter. They are at Eurohusevic. But now, let's get on with the podcast. As
4: Jonal you know, Alassander always said, take it away.
1: Hi. Hi. We are, are Davi Okaknamakniv, and, 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 and you're listening, listening to But well,
5: I don't close any doors. I love Eurovision, I love Elidice Festival, and it will always be a part
0: of me. That night, I found myself live on Russian state television for, for Russia's Song for Europe.
5: I said to
1: Joe,
0: send BBC Teenage
2: Life. Maybe two weeks later, I was at a press conference, and I was on making your mind up.
1: Everyone was like, Eldar,
0: calm, celebrate with us the end of filming, they
5: put honey on my face, and I needed to be, you know, sexy with this honey on my
3: face.
4: Hi there, my name is Martin Estudal, I am the Executive Supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast, with me, Rob. Me, James. And this week, yet another Eurovision winner joins us on the podcast. It's always so good when we can bring you a winner, and today... It is the winner of Eurovision 1993. So technically, my first ever Eurovision winner because four months before the contest, I was born. I told her that during the interview, needless to say. Didn't enjoy it that much, didn't enjoy being reminded that I was, well,
0: what, four months old when she won Eurovision. Do you want to tell everybody who it actually is because you've not said it yet? Yes, Neve Kavanagh, everybody. Way, well, hey, there you go. We have got so
4: much to hear from her, including this which is when she told me how she had to get the day off from her job at the bank to compete in the irish national final
5: i came into my head of uh, department on the friday morning and uh, i was supposed to be on a split shift which is kind of a short shift on the monday and i said look i'm doing this thing on sunday night this tv thing is there any chance i could have monday off because it could be late and, you know, whatever. So just, is that okay? And he said, oh, yeah, no problem, because actually we have enough staff, so you're only supposed to cover breaks, so we'll be able to work at it. I said, oh, that's great, that's great. So I went off, did the national final, obviously won it, and became Ireland's representative in the Eurovision. And the next day, mayhem broke out in the bank.
0: Oh, what a treat it is to have Neve Kavanagh here on the Eurotrip. Uh, winning act number five, I think it is, here on the podcast. What a treat it always is to bring the winners to you. But not only that, we are also joined by Luis Mesa, a Spanish journalist who will be getting us up to date on all things Benidorm Fest in Spain and a little chat about Junior Eurovision as well. There is so much to come. Also, we'll fit in a little bit of calendar watch as well. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. James,
4: I'm so pleased that you reminded me that I hadn't told everybody who the winner was that was joining us on this week's episode. Yeah, Neve Kavanagh. I mean, we can't big that up enough. One of the best Eurovision winners ever. I'm not just
0: saying that because she's on the podcast this week. In your eyes, brilliant song. And also, something I learnt there, well, I didn't necessarily learn it, I kind of knew it already, but just certified to me exactly when you were born, because I always kind of forget how old you actually are, but now, 1993, I'll definitely remember that, for sure. How young I actually am, is what you meant. Uh, well, I'm younger, so I, I don't know if you can get away with saying that. So your first Eurovision winner was? Um, well, that is the year of my birth, or the one, the first one, because yours came the actually... first.
4: The first Eurovision that you were alive for... Mine
0: was Katrina. Big. It's
4: been downhill ever since. It has
0: been, yeah. (laughs) What a coincidence that is.
4: Now, a Eurovision winner in many people's eyes, and yes, production is secret, everybody, we did pause the podcast there while we worked out how we were getting our, get ourselves from Katrina to San Marino, <laughs> but a Eurovision winner in many people's eyes, Valentina Monetta joined us on the podcast last week, which was wonderful, so good, so, so good. The best part, actually, for me, was seeing what she looked like when you chatted to her, which you can see in the video that we put on our socials, lovely leopard
0: print hat for the duration of the interview. Yeah, I was going to say, not many people could pull that off, really, could they? Oh, honestly. Uh, she looked great. She sounded great on the podcast as well. And also, I refer to her as the Queen of San Marino. And I'm not entirely sure if that's a phrase that most people call her. But on socials this week, everybody's been talking about Valentina and referred to her as the Queen of San Marino. Have I started something there? I don't know. But as I said, I think, on the episode last week, Senate must be absolutely
4: fuming about the whole thing. Is that why she's going all in on trying to host Eurovision in Italy now? She's just... <laughs> Sacking San Marino off. I appreciate it said it is Italian, but yeah, she's uh, she's realised that she's not actually the queen of San Marino because Valentina is, and she's putting all her eggs in the Italian basket. Or what would you just? What's all your eggs in the Italian basket e- equivalent in Italy? What would you be putting in your basket?
0: You can't put limoncello in a basket, can you? Uh, I tell you what, I'll leave you a stew on this, and I'll have a look at some of the tweets we've had over the last seven days. Shall I do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you um... Yeah, sorry. No, you carry on. I'll I'll get back to you. Thanks, everyone, for getting in touch about last week's podcast with Valentina Mineta. Uh, Victoria, uh, thanks for getting in touch. We're at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter. She said, um, Valentina on Eurotrip Podcast, I can't think about Eurovision all the time. Me, can't relate. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm amazed she doesn't think about Eurovision all the time, actually, given most of her previous life history is just at a contest given she's been there four times Uh, Jamie as well thanks for getting in touch saying um, if Malta ever hosts Valentina has to represent San Marino so we could have Monetta in Valletta Love it very good, Jamie. Very good. And also, Tim, uh, we gave Tim a shout out last week. Uh, but lovely to hear from you again, Tim. You're saying, always applaud James and Rob for their hard work and giving fans what they want. Uh, but he also said, I'm listening to the podcast at work and trying not to lose it while Rob and James talk about BLT sandwiches. Yeah, I kind of forgot we did that. Yeah, I'm going to do my best not to refer to myself as the
4: Mayo on this week's episode, which is a little bit, I don't know, just leaves you feeling a little bit dirty, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it was a mistake on your part. You can be another slice of bread if you want this week. Well I'm still trying to work out what I'm putting in my Italian basket and lemon cello's all I got. I'm I've forgotten about all Italian foods
0: at this stage. I don't know, a, a bag of uh, a bag of penne? I don't know. I tell you what, you've got another forty five minutes to come up with a better reference than that. And if we still haven't done it, then you listening can get in touch as well. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or hello at Eurotrip dot com on the email.
4: Guarantee. No other Eurovision podcast this week is asking you for the Italian equivalent of eggs in a basket, which is exactly what we're doing right now. It's not the weirdest thing we've asked you to get in touch about, though, because cast your minds back a couple of weeks, and you may remember me and James spent an awful lot of time on the podcast talking about Eurovision calendars, or specifically, which of the Eurovision class of 2021 we would like to see in calendar form. Now, I think Stuart got in touch and agreed with you that he'd like to see an Albina calendar, which I know is your personal preference. Well, I think you
0: actually put that on me. Uh, That's not the one I came up with personally, but anyway, we'll rule with it. I think you agreed though, didn't you? You didn't say otherwise. Well, yeah, probably because I just wanted you to carry on with calendar watching, get it over and done with.
4: (laughs) Well, bad news for you, sir, because two weeks later, we're still talking about it. Um, I had a Google before the start of the episode to see whether the Albina Calendar was available ahead of Christmas. Bad news. Um, there is not an Albina calendar. However, I can offer you this Albina gold heart design planner, oh, wow. which, yeah, it's coming from America, so you've got to pay quite a lot of postage. Um, it's basically just a, a black planner with a heart in the middle um, with the name Albina on it. Interested? Uh I think i might give that a pass actually if i'm totally honest with you not since that box of useless eurovision memorabilia will there have been anything as useless <laughs> in your uh in your bedroom although that's not true we'll leave that there uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh also bad news hurricane their calendar's not out yet either however our eurovision winners
0: i say Monashkin. james says maniskin no no i say Monashkin. you say Manashkin. I'm pretty sure it's monoskin. I'll say manishkin. Okay. makes me sound more cultured, even if I'm (laughs) wrong. I enjoy
4: a shh in the middle of a word. Uh, Yeah, their calendar is out. Good news. Uh,
0: However, it will set you back about 17 quid if you're interested. Oh, I don't know if I can spare the 17 quid. How does that compare to the Fizz's calendar? That's the big question on everybody's lips. That is a big question. And I will find that out for you, sir, while we're doing this. Well, you've had your 15 seconds, Rob. Please tell me The Fizz have a cheaper calendar than Monoskin. Uh, got some good news. It's £15.95.
4: Cool. Well, you're buying it for me anyway, so you've got a better deal. Carry on. I'd love to, but some bad news. I have missed the deadline for pre-orders. But, you know, yeah, me and Cheryl Baker, good pals. So uh, just, just slide into a DMs, maybe,
0: and, and get my hands on one. Looking forward to that. But... I'm not as good as you at these segues, so I'll just say it's time for the news.
4: And I promise, listeners, I am significantly more prepared than James was last week. We will start with junior Eurovision tickets, which went on sale today, or at least they should have done, because obviously not recording on Wednesday, but today is Wednesday, and hopefully they still went on sale anyway. If they did, I can tell you that in a scenario A or scenario B, that's right, Eurovision in a pandemic, we're back to scenarios, we know that there will be a maximum audience of three and a half thousand people to attend both the jury and the live shows by the organizers. Still waiting for the exact number, though, of course, and it will be subject. To the number of infections at the time of the final. That's all the junior Eurovision news this week, FYI. On to Eurovision. And Israel kicked off the 2022 Eurovision National Selection season at the weekend. That's when the X Factor Israel held their first show. Uh, Former winner Netta is one of the five members of the jury on that programme, which will eventually see the four finalists battle it out for the golden ticket to Eurovision 2022. In Australia, SBS, the Australian national broadcaster, have revealed the first three acts taking part on the Gold Coast in Australia Decides next February. They are Paulini, Jaguar Jones and Isaiah Firebrace, who, of course, finished ninth for Australia at Eurovision 2017. Isaiah will sing a duet with a as-yet-unnamed artist. Dammy Im, is it you? I was just going to leave the pause there so she can reply if she's listening. I doubt she is. In Montenegro, RTCG have opened their song submission period for artists and composers to submit their songs in a quest to represent Montenegro, what a wonderful country, which translates as Black Mountain. Did you know that? Anyway, the deadline, currently set for the 10th of December, the singer has to be a Montenegrin citizen, which rules me and James out, but the composer and producers can be foreigners... Good news. The songwriters can submit up to two songs for the selection. The submission window also is open in Croatia. The artists competing in Melody Grand Prix 2022 in Norway are to be revealed on January the 6th. And in Spain, they've announced that they have extended the song submission period for Benidorm Fest until the 10th of November due to the high number of submissions. They said they wanted to give artists and composers more time to work on their respective entries. Initially, that deadline was the 29th of October. But yeah, now tenth of
0: November, and breathe. Gosh, that was a lot of news, wasn't it? A lot of dates for the diary over the next coming weeks and months or so. Wow, it's getting busy again. It is getting
4: busy, isn't it? We've got our uh, got our first quarterfinals in Lao later in the later
0: in the month as well. Oh, gosh, how can you forget about that? Oh, it is getting busy, busy, busy. Just how we like to see it in the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, Lovely of you to mention Benidorm at the end of that news update as well, Rob. Very convenient because I thought it would be wise for us to have a little bit more of an in-depth chat about it, Uh, not with me and Rob, but with Luis Mesa. He is a Spanish journalist. He's covering the Eurovision Song Contest, and he's also very, very hot on the world of the Junior Eurovision Song Contest as well. So we'll have a little bit of a chat with him about that very, very shortly. But first, I thought it would be best for us to start off by re-examining Spain's performance at this year's Eurovision Song Contest.
3: Well, I agree with you. I think Blas is an amazing singer with an amazing voice. And Boya Army is a good ballad with a great message about the loss of her grandma with the pandemic. Uh, that's, uh, that's a song with a lot of hurt, but at the end, that's not a song to win Eurovision or to get a top 10 or top 15, I guess. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I remember that. That's, uh, I was thinking a lot during Eurovision about a top button, and finally it was only a button. So for us, was uh, was, was bad, but not at at all. But yeah, I think Blas uh, has a lot of potential, and uh, he could uh, choose or select another type of song, and uh, he could get a better result. But.
0: It's interesting, isn't it, when we look at Spain's results over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, they're a big five country, similar to the UK, and do you think it's this sort of inconsistent selection process where sometimes it's an internal selection, sometimes it's a national final, then sometimes it's a different national final? That is the reason why Spain and, I guess, the UK aren't getting these consistently good results.
3: Yeah, I'm truly sure that we are in the same boat, James. We, uh, BBC and TBE are uh, so similar in that uh, in that time. But uh, uh, I think there are two countries with a great history. They are amazing TV. That they, they are members of, of the Big Five, but uh, they have have a lot of years uh, going Eurovision only. Uh, to go, only to, to stay there, uh, to pass the exam. And I think uh, Eurovision is so difficult to win. You have to, it's, it's similar to win the lottery, it's very difficult. But uh, to have a great result, you have to do an amazing job with an amazing pack, thinking a lot uh, uh, during a long time. And I think uh, BBC and TV uh, didn't do mm, anything about that. Uh, but I think in Spain, something is changing. And I suppose in BBC too, with the GIP uh, collaboration, and uh, we hope the future could be better for us. Oh, let's,
0: let's hope so. Fingers crossed. Chatting about the future, of course, Spain's new direction for 2022 is Fest, mm-hmm. which sounds very, very exciting. Give us an idea about what this is going to look like.
3: Oh, first of all, let me show you a little bit of history. Benidor Fest is the reborn of the Festival of Benidor, uh, which is a festival who, uh, who stayed in Spain since 1959, three years after the beginning of Eurovision. They, they are siblings, and it was a very important contest in the, in the um, uh, authoritarian era uh, with Franco and so on. Uh, it's the beginning of the career of Rafael, of Julio Iglesias, for example. The first place they win something was in Benidorm. And nowadays, uh, nobody knows a lot of, about Benidorm, but uh, I think uh, it's a great opportunity for RTBE because uh, uh, they have uh, an amazing colleague, uh, the Comunidad Valenciana, who 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 could help them to make something different and to try to do something like uh, another Mediterranean San Remo because uh, Benidorm is one of the biggest tourism uh, cities of Spain. And it could be really amazing. We are looking forward to the artists, uh, to the songs, uh, to the submissions process, but they are working so hard. There are a lot of great people who know Eurovision, who love Eurovision walking, and it's like completely different. Uh, about uh, today's a different day, like uh, we were living a few years ago.
0: Now, a few days ago, it was meant to be the, the closing of the submissions window for the songs to be uh, mm-hmm. submitted. And it's been extended a little bit now, hasn't it? Is that a concern? Is that sort of RTV saying, oh, we, we haven't got enough entries here. We, we, this hasn't been as popular as we first thought it might be.
3: It's possible they have two submission methods. On the one hand, an open online call for, uh, for whatever uh, they want. And the other, a series of invitation to composers, singers, and uh, record labels. I think the record labels are the, the, are basically the main entrance to Benidorm Fest. And they said that they need a little bit uh, more of time to, to receive those songs of very important singers, they said. So we have a lot of hype, <laughs> to be honest, but uh, it's something uh, normal in, in that world. For example, Festival ikenges uh, has a... A new place or a Melody melodramatic too, so it's something normal. But here we are in a very difficult situation because the Spanish Eurofan is a biggest is a biggest fandom. But uh, we we didn't have uh, any type of hope never. So uh, it's easy to get nervous. So <laughs> we need to to feel, we need to to stay a little bit relaxed and and to be confident with our TV this year.
0: You mentioned earlier about the history of Benidorm Fest and some of Mm -hmm. the big Spanish names that have come through this competition. With it being sort of reborn this year or for 2022, are we going to see some of Spain's biggest names, some of Spain's
3: biggest artists, do you think? Oh, we don't know. Uh, RTVE claims for a little bit of uh, confidentiality. So they are working uh, without saying a lot of, but uh, I think there's a lot of young talents uh, sending uh, songs to to and that's uh, fully great. But I think uh, it's your first uh, year. Uh, they signed for three years in a row for Benidorm Fest. So you need to have a, an amazing mixture between great song of a great artist and then young people, young talents too. And it's a little bit difficult. Uh, so I think it could be a uh, great artist, uh, but uh, I think it's time to have people uh, who wants to come to Eurovision because uh, Spanish artists uh, are frightened about Eurovision, and and to be honest, it's normal because uh, the results aren't aren't good. Uh, the people suffer a lot with Eurovision too so I don't know I don't know the uh, RTB are working they have their cards and uh, we're looking forward to see it
0: one other thing we're looking forward to as well of course is junior Eurovision we can now say it's mm-hmm. next month that's very exciting it's coming up very very soon remind us of the artist and the song that Spain is sending this year
3: Oh, uh, they uh, they choose uh, Levy uh, was the last winner of uh, the boys' kids here. That's that's like the same. that they are sending all the countries like uh, Poland has the same, Portugal has the same, and uh, their son is uh, Reir, a son of David Roma, is one of the of the main composers of Sony music here in Spain, and it's great. The thing is, Spain could be the Sweden of the Eurovision. Uh, they always send uh, good music, good concept, always with a uh, child proposals, you know? Because uh, uh, it's difficult to say, you uh, know, Eurovision like a competition, you know? We need a festival for, for kids to have fun in Christmas in Paris, is great. But I think it's a great song, great, right? it's a great song, but I think they, RTV has less possibility of winning like uh, uh, two years ago with Marte or, or last, uh, last year with uh, Palante, I suppose.
0: Well, not long until we find out. Only a few weeks, about six six or seven weeks to go until junior Eurovision comes around. am sure you'll have your fingers crossed for a good result for Spain. And of course, then we can look forward to Eurovision as well next year. And hopefully some more exciting results for Spain to come. And no doubt we'll chat to you more on the podcast between now and then. Luis, thank you so much for joining us for a chat. Thank you, James. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. A big thanks to Luis Mesa for joining us here on the Euro Trip this week. No doubt that won't be the only time between now and May next year when he'll be joining us to chat all things Spain at the contest. Don't forget, we've still got Neve Kavanagh to come. But for now, let's just remind you that we are, this week, sponsored by the brand new Eurovision exhibition based in Husavik in Iceland. A really good write-up, actually, on the new Eurovision exhibition
4: on the official Eurovision website, which uh, went on there a few days ago. So, eurovision.tv, if you want to go and have a look at that. But the exciting thing, of course, now, is the exhibition is open. Icelandic Eurovision star Greta Salome did the honours a few weeks ago. The doors are open now if you want to check out all their incredible rooms decorated with all things Iceland at Eurovision
0: there's that brilliant room as well full of props from the Netflix Fire Saga movie as well Yeah, and to get us in the mood for hopefully travelling to Iceland very, very soon we thought we'd bring you an Icelandic word every single week to sort of get you up to speed on the language you'll need to know if you decide to head over there and Rob, it's your turn this week so uh, what do you got? already regretting this word,
4: because it is very, very long. I can't even begin to count the number of syllables in this word. Oh, God. Drum roll, please. This week's word is Stefnu
0: Oh, gosh. That is a mouthful, isn't it? Sorry, I think you broke up as well. Can you say it again?
4: Uh, yeah. That's convenient, isn't it?
0: Stefnu uh, takvold. Well, oh, th- that second time, it just sounds so clear. Oh, yeah. I'm. I'm Steph tak vold Very good, very good. I'm going to wake up in cold sweat saying <laughs> Steph nu vold at this point. I'm looking forward to find out how you actually pronounce that. Um, Let's think. We've tried to... Well, I've tried to be helpful with some of my words. So we've done, like, airport and taxi and things like that. Um, I think you've maybe it's gone a little bit off piece. And I'm going to say this. Actually, is this a word? Because I know there's a lot of them over there. Is this a word for volcano?
4: Oh, that'd be good, wouldn't it? No, it's it's not. It's not actually that useful. Um, it's just something that I would hope that me and you could do together uh, when we're there. Share a romantic walk. Almost. Ah. Not far. Uh, Stefnu Motakvold
0: is the Icelandic for date night. Ah, very good. Very good. That would be useful for a lot of people to have in there, then, won't it? Although...
4: Actually, thinking about it, if I want to invite you on a date night, you are famously also
0: English, so I could have just said date night. Mm, Yeah, well, there you go. So if you're planning to go there and meet an Icelandic person and take them on a date, we've got you covered right here. Say it once more, Rob. Stefnu Motakvold. Yeah, very useful if you want to go and make the trip over there to Iceland to, of course, see the new museum. Yeah, if you go on a date, Thanks to me telling you
4: that word. Maybe you can take them to the museum. Maybe that can be date number two. Who knows? Uh, The exhibition, of course, don't forget, they want your submissions as well for that really exciting Eurovision room that is coming together at the moment. Uh, They want your photos, maybe of your favourite Eurovision memory, a trip to the contest, meeting an act... You can send them to eurovision at husovic.com. That's eurovision at husovic.com. And for more info and pictures showing you what to expect, make sure you follow them on Twitter as well, of course. They are at Eurohusovic. But for now, it's back to the podcast.
0: This is the Eurotrip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Warming you up
3: for the Eurovision Song Contest.
0: That's right. You are listening to the Eurotrip. What a pleasure. As always, it is to have you along for the ride this week. And if you're listening, if you've not got a lot to do right now, if you're just sort of chilling or if you're on the bus or something like that, do get in touch with us. We're at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Hello at Eurotrippodcast.com on the emails. And if you are feeling adventurous, why not drop us a review? Why don't you rate us five stars? Wherever you listen to the podcast this week. Before we get
4: to Neve Kavanagh, which is on the way in a second, I want to admit something. It's a little bit of a confessional. I was listening to another Eurovision podcast at the weekend. Were you now? I think you'll understand. Because it's a good one,
0: and we like them. With are friends at friends of the podcast, I would say. I'm gonna take a risk here. Let's hope I'm right, otherwise it's gonna look awkward. Hope it was Aussie Vision. It was! Ah it was i just wanted to wanted to shout out aussie vision because they're back which is
4: nice they've been away they've had their off season as we did uh, and they returned with their first episode of the 2022 season at the weekend and it was very enjoyable just nice to hear mike and dale back on you know i thought that maybe mike and dale would say similar
0: about us they didn't but you know i don't mind we'll be the bigger people yeah, they've got time as well. They've got a lot of episodes to do between now and May. I'm sure they'll, they'll they'll save it the right for the right time. And also, we had some Australian Eurovision news last week as well, so it might be might be high time we invite them back on for another chat. That would be good, wouldn't it? I
4: think Mike and Dale will be back on this podcast very, very soon. I say that as if we're not in control of it. I mean, it's only me and you that are responsible, isn't it? So, I mean, let's just get them back on, shall we? Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: Let's make it happen before the end of the month. Well, actually, I've sort of committed to that now. Let's... I suppose we can do that, can't we? I reckon so. so but yeah, I mean, is that what we're going to do now? We just any
4: anything we say on the podcast has to happen. Has to happen. Let's get the UK's winner of Eurovision
0: on in May next year. Oh, what? That's a good idea. Tell you, here's another one for you. Let's get the winner of Eurovision 1993 on the podcast right now. Hey
4: very good. Let's do that. Is that just your way of hurrying me along because you're hungry and you know that you're having your dinner after this? Yeah, the pasta's ready in 10 or 15 minutes, so you better hurry this up. Well, you're right. You're not wrong. Neve Kavanagh is on the podcast this week and it is time to hear my chat with her, which, I'll be honest with you, is a bit longer than some of the ones that you have heard in recent weeks, purely because... It's just such a lovely listen, so I hope you will indulge me. Neve, of course, won Eurovision 1993 for Ireland with her song In Your Eyes, which is a wonderful song. Go and check it out on YouTube. Go and have a watch of it because it's so beautiful, such a good song. And, of course, that year was a very, very tense finish with Ireland just beating the United Kingdom, which you will hear a bit of shortly. Now, Neve, of course, is a very memorable Eurovision winner because she came back. She did Eurovision again in 2010, so we will talk about that. And we will talk about how her role in the hit film The Commitments... You haven't heard of it, ask your mum or dad. I'll get Neve to explain a little, a little bit later on how her role in that film got her on the Eurovision stage in the first place. But I started by asking her how she looks back on Eurovision now, 28 years after winning the contest.
5: I often refer to Eurovision as your favourite auntie. You love to visit her, but occasionally you'll visit and you'll find her with her pants on her head, you know that's that's <laughs> kind of what it's like you know you just don't know what you're going to get when you get in there, and it can be quite bizarre at times, but actually there's nothing but love in it
4: if we if we go back to the the very beginning, the very start mm-hmm. now neve yes. were you always destined for a career in music, do you think because your father was a musician, wasn't he
5: yeah my father uh my father uh was um a saxophonist and sang, but like anybody in the real world uh, back in those days it wasn't a real job shall we say and so therefore he also had a job so he gigged you know seven nights a week and worked during the day which is what I pretty much did for the first seven years of my life in the industry Um, and people used to say that you weren't a real musician if you did that but anyway um, I think from the time I was born um, although for the first uh, two weeks. My mother says, you know, my mother often says that I came out singing from the womb. But the truth is, I had a strider, which meant my vocal cords weren't developed when I was born. So uh, for about two weeks, I made no sound, which is was the last time anybody had blissful silence from me. I think. <laughs> but basically, um, I can't remember a time when I haven't sung. I mean, that has always been. Part of who I am, such an integral part. I always loved it when I was young. I was always making up wee songs and singing in that high-pitched way young girls do it, you know, like, la, 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 and all that, probably driving everybody demented. Joining into anybody who would let me sing, any, any gig, any concert, any competition, anywhere I could sing, I went and found it. And some of it is to do with who I am as a person and how much I love to sing, but also... Some of it is the fact that I have two older sisters who are already better than me at everything else. So it seemed to me that's what I could do better than anybody else. So that's what I'll do. And so there's an element of that, but actually, also growing up in my house, there was a lot of music all the time. So although my my father made music, my mother listened to music. And actually, if I want to record anything, I, I run it across my mum first because she is a great listener.
4: You mentioned <laughs> that like your father. You know, the first seven years of your career in the industry, you were also Doing other jobs as well, doing other yep. work. What were you combining with, you know, gigging in the evening? What, what were you up to?
5: Well, uh, I I lived a very varied career originally. I came, out of, I came out of school not wanting to go to uni, but I went anyway because I was too young when I left school. I was only 17. And it's impossible to get a reasonable job when you're 17. You get paid less and everything. It's all a bit nasty. So um, I went back to uni because they paid me £12 a week to do that. So I trained as a hotel receptionist, which I thought would be a nice jammy thing to do. Uh, it was pretty hard course, actually. There was law and accountancy and everything involved in it because back then you had to do everything. There was no computer to do it for you. And um, But I loved it and I, I did. I did. I was never going to work in hotels, but I just enjoyed the fact that I got to do something different for a year. Uh, but the whole time I was gigging. Uh, so I started about the age of uh, 17 and a half, 18 Really, 18 is when I really kind of got in the band. And basically, uh, I worked six nights a week and a Sunday afternoon doing weddings, bar mitzvahs and a cred gig on a Sunday afternoon in the local pub where we did all the hits of the day, shall we say. And then um, during the day, originally I worked in Aer Lingus. I worked in check-in in Aer Lingus. Uh, I worked in uh, the airport authority. I worked on the information desk. I was the voice that said, Now have your attention, please. So I did all that Um, and always working with the microphone. And uh, then I worked in Cleary's, which is a big department store, worked in the cash office there. I basically worked wherever I could. And eventually (laughs) I got a a temporary contract in AIB, which was a bank, Uh, but I worked in the departments. I didn't work actually in a branch. I never actually worked in branches, but I worked in departments. So I moved in and out of there a couple of times over the years. And then I was made permanent about six months. Uh, not even three months before I did the commitments and uh, I took the job because I thought I might as well because obviously singing isn't a real job and my mother was very happy for me to keep my good job even after I was on this multi-million selling soundtrack album and sang on the Grammys like I literally took my split week uh, in the bank one time and, and went over to New York and sang on the Grammys and came back in time to do my next shift. And, you know, that it's it's a bizarre kind of way to be, but actually it really taught me, that whole section taught me to be myself 100% and understand the value of, shall we say, fleeting fame.
4: Niamh, I want to go very quickly back to what you said before, which is, because I wanted to ask you about the commitments as well, of course, yeah. because yeah, yeah, our, our, listener, our listeners... They may not know about the commitments. I want to, want you to, to inform mm. them and, and, and tell them all about it. But before we get to that, you mentioned that you went to the Grammys and then came back and managed to do your shift afterwards. Oh,
5: yeah. Yeah, yeah. What
4: was the staff room like after you'd been at the Grammys? I mean, you don't get that very often.
5: But what, do you know what? Actually, this is going to sound weird because it happened the same time after I won the National Song Contest, right? I'm going to tell you a story because it's, it's relative to the same thing. Um, they were always aware that I gigged right in, in every job I did it was nearly impossible to hide it and um, it made it put extra pressure on me in the job itself because obviously you could never ring in sick you could never be late because that they, they would blame it on the gig um, and lots of people would be coming in completely dying lying under their tables but you know or they'd be off for mild colds but I could never be sick never be out and I never was in in all the time I was there um, but what used to happen was I would come in to work after, say, a spit shift. I'd been off a few days, and they they kind of got so used to me gigging. They didn't really pay attention to what it was I actually did, um, and 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 surprisingly, quite a few of them wouldn't have necessarily been at the gig itself. But anyway, the, the thing is, um, when I did the Grammys, um, I came back in on the Wednesday night. I was I flew back in because it's a, it's on a Sunday night, so by the time I flew back. My next shift was the Wednesday evening, and I went in, and they said to me, "So, what did you do in your week off?" <laughs> I said, "Well," <laughs> and, I, and I told them, and they're like looking at me going, and I don't think they really hear it, right? They don't really hear it. They're very blasé about it and stuff. So, it was, like, it was it was it was fine. They, yes, of course, they thought it was surprising, but they didn't they, because I was still in doing my job. They, I don't think they really thought about it. So, coming up to the national final. Um, of the Eurovision, uh, the Eurosong in Ireland, um I I came into my head of a department on the Friday morning, and uh, I was supposed to be on a split shift, which is kind of a short shift on the Monday. And I said, "Look, I'm doing this thing on Sunday night, this TV thing. Is there any chance I could have Monday off? Because it could be late, and you know, whatever. So just is that okay?" And he said, "Oh yeah, no problem. Because actually, we have enough staff, so you're only supposed to cover breaks, so we'll be able to work that out." I said, oh, that's great, that's great. So I went off, did the national final, obviously won it, and became Ireland's representative in the Eurovision. And the next day, mayhem broke out in the bank because normally when they know somebody's representing the country in something, or there's a big sporting person in the in the bank, um, which is quite regular for the GAA and all that sort of stuff, they absolutely, you know, they advertise it to the hilt that they this person works for them. And they, they all over the papers on the Monday was this. AIB banker basically won the national song that's going to represent us and there was chaos and nobody knew what was happening because really up until then nobody really saw me on TV although I did do TV but they didn't see me and they didn't know me as a person as in Niamh Cabinet, even though I'd done The Commitments which was an enormous uh, success all over the world but actually um, the physicality of it then became a thing and I was on A lot of interviews, a lot of things. So I actually technically still work for the bank right up until about uh, I I took a career break after I won the Eurovision. Right, (laughs) I I did all my shifts right up to two weeks before the Eurovision.
4: (laughs) Now, before we got to the the national final, you winning the national Mm -hmm. final, you going on to represent Ireland. You, of course, as you've already mentioned, you were at the Grammys. And the reason you were at the Grammys, I can only assume, was because of the commitment
5: now I automatically assume people are going to know what the commitments are right but uh, but to be fair we're now sufficiently past it that you know there are people who don't know what the commitments are so the commitments was a movie well actually it's a book written by Roddy Doyle who's an amazing writer and really funny really funny it's a small book it's hilarious it's basically about a bunch of young young ones and young people's as they say, from Dublin who decide to make a soul band and they decide to do this and it's all about them becoming a band and not and all that and what happens. And Alan Parker, who's an, who was an exceptional filmmaker, decided to come in and make a movie in Dublin. Now, the the world, when I say the world, the whole of Ireland, if you had even a tin whistle in your pocket, you auditioned first, right? Everybody auditioned. And Alan Parker rang me and he said, look, you're not right for the part. You, you know, I think we can all agree with that. I said, no, you're right. He says, I can't make you what you need to be for this. I said, that's OK. And he says, but I'd really love you to come and sing on the album. So I sang three tracks on the album. And so went in September 1990. I'll never forget it. I uh, went in and uh, recorded three songs. Um, Destination Anywhere, Nowhere to Run and Do Right Woman, Do Right Man took my 290 punts which were my was my session fee and went off to EOS and had two weeks of uh, obviously I'm going to say debaucherous fun but it wasn't it was (laughs) myself and my friends just went and had a great holiday on EOS in Greece we had a wonderful time and I didn't think another thing about it until the following year when it came out and it was hugely successful and so the following year. Was when I got selected for Eurovision because Jimmy Walsh had seen, heard me on the commitments and he figured my voice was the right voice for what he needed. I remember Jimmy Walsh saying to me when I was kind of humming and hawing about Eurovision, "So I'm not sure Eurovision is where I should be going because I'm doing really well and doing this and that. You know, they're not necessarily that's not on their radar there." And and he said, "You know, Neve, you can make Eurovision anything you want to. You don't have to be." What you think people say you have to be because there is this kind of they like to put you in little boxes as we know in life but in particular in eurovision this every interview i ever did with the eurovision unless it was a fan doing it, was that they started it with what do you think about the kiss of death that the eurovision is for your career and i was like i have no idea what you're talking about you know <laughs> you know i i won't accept that because i don't think that's true i think it's only true you know because for a moment you are globally aware and and people you know are very focused on what you do but the thing is what you do after that is entirely up to you it's not you don't have to let that define you there are will always be moments where you're more famous than others unless you're like Beyonce who like bats an eyebrow and that happens you know what I mean so but she works hard it. I don't mean that but you know what I'm saying very few people live at that level of fame all the time and there's a lot of people who are very successful in this industry without ever even being known beyond where they work, you know. So you just you just have to stop letting other people try to define that for you. I'm
4: exist even at the time that you did Eurovision? Of course at the time that you do Eurovision Ireland have just won it the year before you know Johnny Logan had won it a couple of times in the recent past at that point as well so did that skepticism even exist then?
5: We talk about the golden age of 90s in particular and Eurovision oh you were all amazing and how wonderful what we all thought Eurovision was then and we really didn't people didn't people didn't rate it as a thing no, don't get me wrong. They loved it. They, and everybody watched it, but they didn't rate it as a place that you would be able to move from. Even back then, seriously, every, especially in the UK, no offense, like, but every time I went into the UK straight into a, you know, you do a tour of the radio stations afterwards and you can see it on their faces, like wheel them in, wheel them in. What are we doing here? And, and, and they start with that whole deriding the Eurovision deriding thing. And that, And I was like, hold on here a second, right? I've just sung in front of 350 million people. When you've done that and you've achieved something that you, because, you know, I went and I sang, I performed well, people responded well to it. If only 1% of people responded to that, that's still 3 million more people that are probably listening to you. So what the hell are you making this judgment for? You know, I don't understand why people have a real concept yes i get it's kitsch at times but i don't see why people are not grabbing the chance to be on a platform that is so global and i mean it's completely global it's not just europe it's all over the world you said the americans contact me australians all these you know we have people from all over the world watching it if you can own that for three minutes that's more exposure than most people get sometimes their whole career
4: the only difference i think But with the show that you won, of course, in '93, is of course the venue that it took place in, which I was fascinated to to Mm -hmm. ask you about because, you know, growing up um, as a Eurovision fan, I've always known Eurovision to be in these massive arenas, absolutely huge things, these massive, you know, stadiums. (laughs) We're the
5: smallest one, yeah, the smallest (laughs) one for in in the modern times. Obviously, they would have done it in theaters years when, you know, when it started out, like it was held in the Gaiety Theater one night. Year, I think, and. The gaiety would have been tiny. like. But actually, they only had about 3,000 people at our, at our Eurovision because by the time they put in the big stage and, and all the backstage area, and quite a lot of the, the dressing rooms were all in marquees at the back, which, you know, that's, that's, that's the level of amazement that we were at.
4: Because it was an equestrian yeah, sensor, right?
5: It was. It was a real stroke of genius by Noel C. Duggan. He just said, why, I'll give you the venue for free. Now, it cost him a fortune to hold it there because <laughs> they had to put the infrastructure in and he got all of the roads done around and the, the railway station was... He absolutely future-proofed us down by doing it. And fair play to him. But actually, what it did to Eurovision, and you were only born, so I take it you didn't actually physically come, but basically anybody who was at the Eurovision in 93 uh, will tell you that you can see it by them if they have been because they're they're... Feeling about it is different to nearly every other Eurovision you've been. Now, let's be honest, the first time you go to Eurovision is always the best one, right? No matter what, where it is, because obviously your first real experience of being actually in the bubble, as we call it, is always the best. But the thing about the one in 1993 is it wasn't in a city. It was basically in a town of about 1,500 people. There was less people living in that town that ended up at the gig, right? And actually people felt like they really lived Eurovision completely for a year and for that whole week, because it was only a week then. So, you know, if you went to that Eurovision, you were a part of something that was very separate. When it goes into cities, as wonderful as it is, that it's also absorbed by the city and the city is still existing and all the other stuff is still going on. Nothing else was going on except Eurovision, which was hilarious. And, and also put into the fact that it was also... small town so it was a small town situation and we were staying we used to have to get buses over from Killarney because there wasn't enough places for us to stay so you'd come over it was a 40 minute journey and then you went to the city it was a very different energy and in a way it it felt like everybody's win then rather than just mine and Jimmy's if you understand it felt like everybody won it that year
4: what was it like being the pinnacle of that, I suppose? Because being the Irish representative after yeah. an Irish win at a contest yeah. held in Ireland in a town where Eurovision is literally the only show in town yeah, must have just been ridiculous. Yeah. Like, Yeah, that, it was hard that... to
5: keep... I'm not going to say it was hard to keep me down on the farm after that. Like, <laughs> I was, yeah. No, but it meant you had to do everything. You know, you had to be at everything and do everything. And, and anyone who's been to Eurovision uh, as a representative or even as a fan will know that there's an enormous amount of work that goes around just those three minutes you stand on stage. It's not just that. You've got a lot of press. You've got a lot of meet and greets. You've got a lot of rehearsal. You've got a lot of stuff. There's a huge amount of work that goes on around that. It's not just those three minutes that you stand on the stage. And so it was added to, for me, not just as a representative, although we took the attitude that we were going down like every other representative, which is not actually true, because obviously you know the locals knew me and they were invested in me already and so it, being the local representative is actually hilariously fun and wonderful because there's nothing but love in the room for you you know so you're you're flying and there's no pressure because at that point we weren't into consecutive wins i was the first consecutive win and little did we know that we were about to have another one after. And, uh, you know, and so forever, no matter even if Sweden catches us up, the three of us will be forever a unit because we have won three in a row, which is, I, I think, will be nearly impossible for people to replicate now.
4: Of course, what people may forget when they kind of look back in the history books, of course, you know, they look back at you you guys as three consecutive winners. But it could have been so different because I think, on the night in 1993, it came down to the very last set
5: of oh, scores. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, don't even start me. That was the most excruciating experience I've ever had in my life. And I've had two children. Luxembourg.
1: Luxembourg?
3: <laughs> Luxembourg. Ten points. <laughs> Luxembourg, D1. OK, OK. And finally, Ireland. <laughs>
1: To us, could have gone to the UK, it went to Ireland.
5: If Malta had voted in order, we would have won it earlier on in the show. So I am slightly suspicious they weren't able to get through to Malta. I could understand why they might not be able to get to where we're I think they created a bit of television gold. Speaking as the person at the center of it, I could have done without it. Having said that, it is pretty phenomenal and people still talk about it. It was, it was probably one of the closest votes ever.
4: 17 years between you winning Eurovision and then you returning to the Eurovision stage. I don't want to ask the question, what were you up to in those 17 years? Cause I feel like that, that, you know, that's, that's another, another potentially yeah. long story, but yeah. what got you back what, what, in? What got you back into Eurovision in the first place?
5: Well, um, you never say never. I I don't know that I ever really thought I'd go back in, but um, I, I, I remember having conversations with Niall Mooney, one of the writers um, the people often ask me, would I go back? And I go, well, I cannot say I'll never go back. I don't see really why I should go back, but you know, yeah, I could think about it. And, but Niall wore, wore me down, but he sent me a song that I liked. And, and, you know, I used to say to people, just send me songs. I'll have a listen. I'm, I'm as proud of 2010 as I was of 93. And I know that sounds weird because I I didn't win it, uh, but I did qualify, which is, is unusual these days. And and considering to a lot of people watching the Eurovision, uh, because the demographic is quite young as well, which is really lovely, um, to actually rate on people's radar enough to qualify now is quite an achievement in itself. And um, you know, I, I'm well aware I was some L doll standing on a bit of wood singing a song that wouldn't be necessarily their kind of song you know but the point is it brought me into a whole new group of people and what i really loved about it was i again i had to think about what i what i would feel about it and because i loved the song i thought you know what actually i could go and do this and at this point i'd been asked for 17 years what do we have to do to win it again? Well, maybe not 17, because obviously we won ridiculousment and people weren't asking the question for a while. But, <laughs> you know, it felt like 10 years of, you know, what do we have to do to do well? And the truth is, I said, you just got to go sing a song and and really believe in it and send what you love. So I, I put my money where my mouth was and I went and I sung a song. And I feel I achieved what I needed to do, which was basically get up and do something that I believed in. And people responded very well to it. And you know where it mattered, I did very well. And that's you know, if you're not if you're not the winner, it doesn't matter where you come after that. No, it really doesn't. You know, and, uh, and actually, even if you're not in the PUI it doesn't make any difference at the end of the day, you still have to do the same thing. It's just, you know. So, actually, I found it just as successful for me the second time, weirdly. Maybe not as all consuming, which is probably just as well because I have two small kids at home. But I hummed and hawed about it. I wondered was it something I wanted to do? Not because I was afraid to put myself out and be thrown out at any stage, because I would have gone out to the national final if it wasn't the right thing. I would have accepted that. That's okay. And actually, for once I got to go away, I went to Oslo, which was amazing. And, you know, so a very different energy. So I did think long and hard about why I should do it, but I'm really glad I did, you know, because it was a very it was a, a different experience in the same thing. And actually, I would seriously consider going back as a writer now or as a delegate, because, quite frankly, I would have the, the lulls with the fans. I'd love to be a. every time I go, I, I don't really have. You, you can't really go and party with everybody because obviously you've got to get up and sing. And usually, you know, they don't give me easy songs to sing. So I would like to go back in a way that I could actually spend time with the fans doing it and really experience it from that end of things. Obviously, with a laminate because everybody wants the laminate, but you know.
4: I guess what that's saying with <laughs> zo- zone one or whatever it is on there, which yeah. means you can go everywhere. Yeah. I-
5: I don't want to just go to a Eurovision. Let's be honest. Like I, I want to be, part. I want to be doing something special. And actually, 2010, I went back as a previous winner, which has its own energy in it. And what's really lovely is it did introduce me to a whole new group of fans who probably weren't as aware of me from the previous one, although they would be aware of it. But do you, want, you know what I'm talking about? That kind of put me more in their space of being part of their Eurovision experience, which was really lovely.
4: What's so wonderful, Neve, is it's clear how much you love Eurovision, how much you love the contest. It must have been so wonderful to see how the contest is, has even grown, not even just in the last year, but since Manishkin won it in, in 2021, earlier this year. You know, we've seen mm-hmm. what they've done for, for brand Eurovision, as it were. It would be lovely if Ireland were to become a part of that, wouldn't it? To to get back on the on the bus and and go along for the ride.
5: I think Ireland never got off the bus. They're just down the back. You know what I mean? They're they're, they're trying to follow it instead of lead it. And and that's not entirely true because I do know that the selection process and the people involved in it are always trying to find new ways. And I think in a way, they tried very hard with Leslie this year to think about the staging, do something really inventive. Now it didn't quite hit the mark. Maybe you might have arguments about that, but the truth is they are more innovative than you think. They try very hard to move forward. The difficulty is... When you're chasing what might work, you're forgetting about who you are. And actually, when we do what we do, whatever that is, it doesn't have to be what we did in the 90s, right? Let's be honest here. You know, um, when you have something that just hits the zeitgeist, that moment of whatever it is, you know, you can't make a decision what that's going to be. I mean, you know yourself when something wins one year, the following year, there's quite a few songs that are similar to it come up as if that's the thing that's going to win it. But it isn't. That's not the way it works. I think that we forget that the whole of Europe, a lot of the people who vote are not the fans. You know, a lot of people who vote are people who are maybe seeing things literally for those three minutes or they've watched 500. You know, I knew uh, Israel was going to win the year they won because my son came in and said, oh, they're winning because they're... And I said, why do you say that? And he said, because they've got five times as many hits uh, as anybody else on YouTube. And Which he was right. There was millions of people watched her video on YouTube. It, was, it hit the zeitgeist, and they were watching. They went, "Oh, that's familiar. I know what that is." So I'm going to vote for that. And you know, so you don't know what that is. So why chase it? Why not just define what you think it is? People tell them all the time. Mainly the media tell them that that has no value, but it's not true. It is. It's absolutely not true. They try to make it true, but it is absolutely not true. And I think then there's a lack of respect for what what they could be doing and and it comes across a little bit sometimes it just it just feels a little bit step and so why should the rest of europe go okay we're going to reward that (laughs) you know it's not it it shouldn't be that it should be you know if you look at at the quality that they send and the, the effort they put in you know it might not be your kind of music but you know they're putting their best foot forward so what the hell's going on you know that's I, I don't uh, subscribe to the fact that people are necessarily just not voting because they don't like us. I think it's just we're, we're probably registering OK. You know, you only have to come 11th in every country for to get no votes.
4: I think it's safe to say that everybody listening to this, whether they're from the UK, whether from Ireland, wherever they're from, is just sitting there and they're going to go preach. Like, <laughs>
3: yes.
5: <laughs> are you telling me I'm preaching now? I'm
4: telling you that everything you said hits the nail on the head as far as I'm concerned anyway Definitely. well it,
5: that's how I see it obviously everybody has their own opinion on it but that's my feeling on it because I, I I, will not accept that the talent isn't there for it to think and I'm not accepting that people are trying to punish us every year that's not happening either
4: leave cabinet <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the Euro Trip. it has been so wonderful so thank you for joining us
5: you're more than welcome thank you so very much <laughs> this is the Euro Trip.
4: I said it there. I'll say it again. One of the nicest people I have had the pleasure of speaking to for this podcast. And so lovely to have Neve Kavanagh on. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to hear more of Neve, by the way, she has got her own podcast. Not that I want to push you away from this one, but she's got a podcast called Agony Rants. See what she's done there? That's clever, isn't it? I like what she's done there. That's very good. Isn't it? So she's done a few episodes of that so far. There's one every week. Uh, And the episode that came out just the other day is called Nervous Rex. So it's uh, Neve, her mate, who's a comedian as well. They've been friends for a really long time and they're doing a show where kind of, yeah, you can come on, you can rant about what you like. Think of Neve as your fun agony aunt. She described Eurovision as being like a fun aunt earlier or I did and she agreed anyway. So just think of that encapsulated in, in a podcast you probably enjoy it. It's called
0: Agony Rants. So uh, after you've listened to this, maybe go and check that out as well. Yeah, definitely worth a listen. As was that chat. What a joy she is. She just sounds like so much fun, doesn't she? She's so natural, so down to earth, and just, you know, treats vision the right way because there are some artists who come and go and look back on it with a... There's a term I'm looking for here and I can't quite find it. You know what I mean, though. I do know what you mean. They're a little bit... Uh... I also can't. can't. <laughs> well, you, 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 you know what we both mean anyway. I know what you mean and you know what I mean.
4: And hopefully the listeners know what
0: we mean. Yeah, let's hope so. But she looks back at it uh, like you should. You know, she treats it a little bit of fun, but also loves it dearly as well. Oh, what a treat that was. Thanks so much, Rob, for bringing us that. What a treat.
4: That's all right. I, um, I want to play the bit about kind of how she says artists should um, kind of approach Eurovision and how she views Eurovision. I just want to play that to anyone that's like, Eurovision is political. I just want to have that on my phone, ready to go at any point when somebody says that. Because, yeah, I said preach at the time, and I think everybody listening to this would have listened to that and gone, yes, Neve, we agree. Sadly, this week's podcast is almost at an end, James, but... It does, however, mean it is time for yet another one second song.
0: Yes, it is. We're going to play the very first second of a Eurovision song, and all you've got to do is try and guess the artist performing, the name of the track, the year it was performed, and the country it was representing. It's as simple as that.
4: And as a little added extra now, we ensure that the song has a very tenuous link to the episode that you have just heard, and I am especially proud of the tenuous link that this week's One Second Song has to this podcast. James, are you ready? Listeners, I hope you're ready for the first listen of this week's One Second Song.
0: Now, you know sometimes I'm not very confident and it's a bit tricky for me to try and figure out what on earth's going on. That does happen more often than not, yeah. However, this week... I'd like to say I am one hundred percent confident, straight off the bat. Okay. Well, let's have it again, one more time,
4: and then you can come at me straight with it. Just you can give me the answer straight away. So here it is again.
1: Oh.
0: Go on then. What is it? Well, I'm glad we played it again because I was definitely going to give you the wrong song. <laughs> so when you said you were one hundred percent confident, not so much. Not so much, but here we are. Thanks for the second play. I'm definitely going to get it right. It is... uh, We're going to wind the clocks back six years to 2015 and we're going to be hearing from Australia. That is Guy Sebastian with Tonight Again. Damn right it is.
3: Oh, everyone's got their problems There's always
0: something on your mind Oh, but tonight we ain't got a song then For now let's leave them all behind I don't want tomorrow Oh baby tonight's so good Tonight's so good this
4: Four points point for you. Day. I think that's four houses. Is that, is that a thing? Four houses?
0: Every time that we've done the one second song in the 2022 series for you. Is it? Wow. So that means we don't have a chart or a tally, but I've definitely got more points than you this year. I'm so not far. sure it is,
4: actually. No, I'm wrong, because you've made an act up the other week, didn't
0: you? Oh, yeah, and you got one wrong last week, so maybe we're still level pegging.
4: Yeah, nonsense, everything I just said. But you got it this week, and that's the main thing. Um, i tell you what you haven't got, though. You haven't got the tenuous link to this week's podcast, have you?
0: Uh, I can't think of much of a link, apart from in the news you mentioned that Australia have selected three acts for the national final but I imagine it's a lot more in depth than that
4: yeah it's a bit too straightforward that Uh, no you of course were talking to uh, Luis earlier on yep now Spain of course we love Spain in Eurovision but they've not done that well recently as we know as you touched on but I was fascinated to see that Spain's last nil point or zero points overall was all the way back in 1983 James 1983 see wow. Tell you what else happened in 1983 The contest was held in Germany that year by the way Australia broadcast Eurovision For the very first time in 1983 And then of course all those years later 2015 their very first entry on the Eurovision stage was Guy Sebastian
0: tonight again Very good Very impressive knowledge there we've, I think we've all learnt a lot there Thanks very much Bob Very good You're very welcome You've got four points Everybody's learnt something perfect place to end the podcast it is indeed and we'll be back again next week of course won't we and we've got another big guest haven't we next week we have we cross from the Emerald Isle to Scandinavia I understand next week we do indeed so um, to find out first shall we say stick across our socials at Eurotrip (laughs) Podcast on Twitter and Instagram you're laughing at me Bob you're laughing and uh, hello at youtubepodcast.com on the email. Why are you laughing? I'm laughing at the phrase, stick across our social media. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I realised I said that. I thought, you know what? Confidence is key. I'm going to roll with it. And I could just see you laughing away in my eye. Right? Anyway, everybody, stick across those socials. I know you do it anyway. Um, but it is... Time to wrap up this week's episode. Don't forget, we'll be back again in seven days' time for a brand new podcast featuring a guest from Scandinavia. But in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye. Did you see the um, that song that Dali Frere released last week? Well, he didn't release it, but he put it on on socials. No. Like, it was about a watermelon.
1: Nope.
0: You take a piece of bread And another piece of bread And you put them in a toaster And he just makes a watermelon sandwich Oh no (laughs) Honestly I don't like watermelon Do you not? No Why? It doesn't taste of anything But it's refreshing isn't it? Oh just imagine on the hot summer's day Resting on a balcony overlooking the med And somebody comes along and goes Roberto A piece of melone for you, sir.